that's a vibe. Yeah, uh, that's a vibe. It's a vibe. That's a vibe. All right, we're live once again, folks, in Greenwood. It is how you live in. Bonjour, shalom, what's up? And welcome to the show, y'all. And that's right, we're here live in effect. This time, though, with a guest in studio, not via Skype, live in studio. We have Chaz's friend for introduction. Chaz, take it away. That's right, we have our friend Kyle here. He is visiting from Amsterdam. He is a computer programmer that graduated from the School of Life. How you doing, Kyle? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm pretty excited about this. Well, welcome to the show, a program that takes uh, a note from all popular programs that have no scripts, <laughs> which uh, I don't know any. So uh, that's right, folks. And as usual, we like to start this show with a simple little segment we intain as... Callbacks. Yeah. And that's right, that's callbacks, and uh, we're here to talk about other episodes that we've done in this show, other topics we've had on this show for a moment, a look back, and uh, this week's no different. Chaz, what is on your mind from things we've talked about that came up this week? Uh, That came up this week, I just wanted to touch on, like, hashtag me too came back with Aziz Ansari and all that but i just want to say that i do want to get some guests on here to talk about their experiences and that thing if they feel like it because you know don't take the male perspective too many times on a podcast exactly yeah you know (laughs) so wanted to say look out for that in the next coming weeks yeah but other than that like i've been under the weather this week so i'm kind of i listened to the news this morning and such so getting uh, was it the the shutdown that happened over the weekend and all that? But yeah, it, well, and the callback for me, I guess, is on the tax plan because there is this weird thing now where uh, companies are now making it look good <laughs> by, right. by doing these giant like gift bonuses to their employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, upwards, uh, the typical number these days is a thousand dollars per employee, and it's all non-administrative staff. So it's supposed to be all the hourly workers. To appease them, I guess, for years of mistreatment and underpay, right? Uh, because they're getting such a windfall from these tax breaks, they're uh, dishing out the dough, and so it's it's kind of one of the default measures of somebody who can last the presidency. You do start getting some W's in your lane, mm-hmm. and even if they're things that we attest as bad because there's certain parts of it that we don't like, and we want it to be structured a different way ultimately for the country as a whole some of these things are going to come up as w's and mm-hmm. and, and the corporate world the tax break is looking good so that's been a weird callback to that is the the response kind of now as it moves through the uh the people who are filing taxes that's also probably a good move for them as far as their taxes i'm sure i mean i get 13 extra dollars on my paycheck now Woo! there you go okay <laughs> so well, yeah, and I guess uh, you know, for uh, for a week of uh, of kind of new news, that seems like a enough of a callback segment. We can enter the episode, which is forty seven. I'm now three for three. On, yeah. on getting the accurate episode number. You're on episode forty seven. This is episode forty seven, and I'm actually naming it correct because Woo! because sometimes I'll get it wrong by one or two, and then. Yeah, it just confuses listeners. So, episode <laughs> 47 here in effect and uh and we're in late January. Yes. We are post uh and one year from the inauguration day. That's right. Of 45 uh by a few days. You know, it actually didn't even occur to me. Yeah. It, it literally didn't enter my mind at all. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been uh exactly one uh one year today. Uh within 4 days. Yeah, yeah, today is the 23rd, and he got inaugurated on the 20th. Yeah, so, but yeah, so... And, and, and the world hasn't collapsed in that year. I, you know, the I sky, felt like it's the come sky did not fall. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's definitely a difficulty of, uh, of, of our campaign to try to remove him. It still seems like he's there, and he's, uh, he's kind of not losing any steam, so... No, the Republicans like him. He's a, he's a blank check. Yeah, so... I guess like uh, like all blank checks, kind of like the movie Blank Check, which I totally forget <laughs> the premise of. I, th- I think they really see him as a weapon to be wielded, and I, I think they I think they believe they can uh, 
I think they really believe they can figure out how to wield them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. They're going to um Yeah, they're going to keep using him, that's for sure as their as their poster boy for their agenda. And in a way, he kind of sets the agenda himself cuz he swings the pendulum in so many different directions that they have to then kind of follow even, mm-hmm. even if they have different intent. And then if he if they do try to pull in a different direction, he just smears them through Twitter and then they just kind of start lining up. But that for sure. That being said, you you teased it in the callback. The government shutdown is real. Yeah. We are in it and uh Well, it's over now, but I mean for how long? Like it was a temporary stopgap funding thing. Yeah. So, I think the, it and like gets us maybe until the first week of February. Mm-hmm. They have 3 weeks to decide on a much more robust spending package. Yeah. So, how uh, odd do you guys find it that the government shut down when one party controls the House, the Senate, and the White House. I mean, I feel like the shutdowns previously reviewed as just like, oh, these parties can't get along. Right. I feel like this maybe points to, like, there's a deeper issue than that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it is weird to the leadership side. Um, But it's one of those things where it's weird, but, like, because it has to pass the Senate, in the Senate, like, and you need at least nine Democrats to vote yes on it. Right. They do have the power kind of just go, nah, we don't feel like it. So there is, because there's a lot of political pundits out there who are blaming the Democrats for it, and it's not, like, slightly misplaced blame. Like, they they are necessary for it to get passed, so. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing that's about this government shutdown is that it it's put together by these politicians as these, like, political maneuverings but then the people that it actually affects are mm-hmm. regular people exactly who depend on these jobs depend on these services depend on these facilities and all this different stuff so um yeah it's gonna be interesting the response and now that yeah we have the stopgap kind of payment we'll have a few weeks of reprieve but you know it, it's just around the corner and this has happened before mm-hmm. you know so back in nine no sorry 2013 yeah yeah so well, uh, and and with that being said, uh, what topics uh, have been standing out to you, Chaz? That's uh, informative for the how you live and crew. What has been going on in the world this I, week? Well, have, have you been keeping track of like a kind of slight callback? But how's the uh, pattern of the Jenny Durkin uh, Seattle politics world happening? You no, know? I haven't heard much from her in, in the last in, in the few weeks or, or like I guess. A few months that she's been our mayor. I know she had a speech <clears throat> during the Women's March, so that was a big... It's another thing we can talk about was... Uh, I guess that was the day after inauguration, mm-hmm. uh, the annual, the anniversary of the inauguration. They had uh, the second annual and or Women's March 2.0. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I heard from some sources it wasn't as well organized as last year. Well, yeah, and I know that it was smaller, but there was definitely more satellite events of it this year, this mm-hmm. time. So it was like smaller towns kind of coalesced in a local effort as opposed yeah. to everyone just coalescing in the most largest metro area. So there were, you know, different districts and photos of, of places that had 10,000 people in the town and, you know, a thousand people came out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, you know, are impactful. And you're like, oh, that's only one in 10. But you're like, I mean, you're, it's hard to get those numbers yeah for sure i don't think 10 percent of seattle walked you know so Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of it's 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 difficult but um i don't know you know it was a good movement the weather didn't cooperate so people were being hardy to to still go out in march for sure when did you guys get involved in local politics in seattle I mean, what? I, I, officially, for me, a year ago. Yeah, about the same thing for me too. I, I, I mean, Novem- November of 2016, we started a show, and I was definitely like investigating what was going on with the election for the six months prior to that. So that's probably about mm-hmm. where we're at. Yeah, interesting. Then, that's that's about when I was kind of on my way out of Seattle. Okay. And uh, yeah, I found that it was amazingly easy to stay out of local politics being in Seattle. <laughs> it is actually uh that's that's maybe kind of a disappointment for the seattle crew <laughs> no no i lived here for nine mm-hmm. years uh, or i've lived here for nine years and uh, when it came to basically all the times i voted before was like oh you mean we can put liquor in uh grocery stores yeah i want that yeah. oh you want to legalize weed yeah i want that and then i was just like basically dialing it in for everyone else so because i never felt like 
at that point, those laws were going to impact me in, in any big way. But I actually, I've met and talked with uh, former mayor Mike McGinn uh, when he was on the campaign trail for Kerry Moon. So it was very interesting hearing him talk about life in uh, the mayor role and how he's trying to, he was always trying to facilitate deals and everything. And, and we, we made fun of him at one point because he, he was the Sonics candidate. <laughs> we're, we're, we're turning this into the callback episode. You're, you've, you've joined the clip show, apparently. <laughs> so I was, what I meant by that was um, I, I, find it, uh, I, I find it pretty common across America that people are far more interested in national politics than local politics. And getting people engaged in local politics is generally really difficult. Yeah, and it's it, it's kind of a it's kind of an odd paradox in in that the thing that they have the most influence over they 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 care and operate the least there. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. definitely why we wanted to talk about it on the podcast because like well if we're into local politics and we want to know who's the best candidate and who's going to do the best for like our standing in the city, our ability to live and all that. I think we want other people to go and do that too. Yeah. We, we try to show and use like the Seattle as our example of, of investigating it on the community and then hope that the listener who's in a different County in a different area that could have a whole different political climate is using and seeing the tools that we're talking about to then kind of go be a participant as well. Like Mm -hmm. whether that's like, we've had Chaz go to town hall meetings, you know, and uh, we've seen um, different mayoral events. And then we had, uh, you know, just kind of a, a watchful eye on the process. I watched a couple televised debates. Um, yeah, same here. We both, we both were kind of hoping on the uh, Nikita Oliver ticket um, because she kind of spoke for a section of the city that's kind of uh, doesn't really have a voice, doesn't have a place in our current kind of political landscape. And she de- definitely didn't come from any type of like corporate sponsorship or money like that. So she didn't have anybody she was going to have to be holding to after she got elected. Whereas the current administration, mm-hmm. the fact that we haven't heard anything is good, but ultimately it could just be because everything's happening in closed door meetings. Yeah. You know, and she's not a real good face of the city in that sense of coming out and talking and being public, you know, mm-hmm. she did come out and have a speech at the women's March. She was definitely, you know, probably a good candidate for that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so would all three of the, the top finalists for the mayoral day since they were all female. For sure. Yeah. The top four were all female. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, shout out to progressivism, you know, and uh, and we had we had listeners call in from different episodes from like Dallas, Texas, and have given us kind of a perspective on the kind of political landscape of some place like that, where it's a clearly a known to be red state, but with a, uh, a different kind of democratic movement occurring, but not and not in the same way that our democratic movements happen out here. It's mm-hmm. not so in your face and and everything that we think is progressive values on the, the menu. It's kind of like a pared down menu. It's a happy hour version of progressivism where they're like, you know, we'll talk about gay marriage. We'll talk about legalization, maybe like medical marijuana. Yeah. And we'll talk more in a little bit, but that's what I feel comfortable with right yeah, now. People, people change slow. I think you got to just at some point appreciate when people are getting to the point where they'll bring up something for discussion. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a real, that's, that's the sign of change when, when the, when the discussion starts. And politically, we know that by getting a district like Dallas to get strong and talk about those issues, ultimately there is a turning point for the state. A state like Texas could kind of wake up one day and become a progressive blue state, whether that's 25 years down the road, 50 years or impossible. Or at least more moderate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think when a, when a city can show that something works, you know, over time, people accept that, you know, that it, that it the, the city didn't collapse under whatever that new policy was. Right. And so, you know, even, even if it's not their favorite sort of policy, I think eventually they see that it maybe is not quite as dramatic as it appeared to them. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think we definitely what Seattle's election told us is definitely where the shades of blue are, and there's definitely the the liberals that have money and don't understand the economic plights that people face in the city, and the people who are liberal but don't have a lot of money and they're like, I'm just trying to live, and so I do want to go to more like democratic meetings to see what they're doing with that because. And yeah, Jenny Durkin makes me personally go bam when it comes to that. And yeah, I definitely know some some friends and acquaintances who are really supportive of her and what she did for kind of like the social liberal things. Like, cause 
being gay and being the first woman uh, mayor in like 98 years in Seattle are big deals. Right. But when it comes to me living in this city, that doesn't help me live comfortably. And I think what? She was a U.S. attorney at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And served under, um, I think, Obama, I believe. Yeah. Was, yeah. So, yeah. No, she's a very accomplished and dedicated uh, civil servant. And that's awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, and I do hope the best. I do know that there are some ties to certain old money and certain union things. And we'll see how that all kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, to get into that power position, you do have to shake the right hands. And that's just kind of something, you know, you have to admit, you know. So uh, do that- you guys do you guys find local politics a bit refreshing compared to national politics, uh, perhaps a bit? Less drama-filled and uh, things like that? Yeah, it's less rhetoric-tossing, and there's actually more specifics, it feels like. People, yeah. People use real references instead of just vague ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, the and, and it's kind of this weird, this amalgamation thing we have to create, where we do need to create national uh, figureheads that talk about emotional ideas, because that was kind of the whole dissecting of the Trump election and what occurred there is that there's a a spirit amongst voters voting with their emotions, not necessarily with a conscious decision of what impacts these types of decision makings that Trump would eventually do could lead to more so the emotion that he gave them when he talked about the things he talked about. Mm -hmm. And so we do need to kind of take some of that because that is what's happening in the modern candidate. And so that kind of needs to be applied to the democratic model to some degree. But then at a local level, we need to shed all that. Like we need to be real and talk about problems that are happening at the local level as honestly as possible because we can actually, like you were saying earlier, make the most difference at the local level. Yeah, and and I think also believing that uh, that change in a culture can come top down from a national sort of uh, organization, I, I think that's about as foolish as believing that uh, economy can grow top down. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so I I think you know change really does have to happen locally first, uh, and so perhaps people could view local politics as sort of a vacation from the from the soap opera that national politics has become and, and yeah. they could get engaged there in a much less stressful sort of lower stakes but you know potentially a really really big impact position yeah and we talk about it on the show we talk about the idea of even your school board you know the people that have ran for that are important and then ultimately, even just finding out who your neighbors are. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you live in a cul-de-sac and there's 11 houses and you only know two neighbors, you know, how hard is it for you to spend the next 30 days attempting to learn more about the other nine neighbors? Yeah. And, and, and isn't this identity of, of lack of community actually coming from an actual lack of continuity of people knowing who their neighbors are? I yeah. think I think if we actually recognized who our neighbors were and we recognized their demographics, mm-hmm. i.e. their culture, their background, their history, their ethnicity at times and, and, and those things, we might get a more honest picture. But because we get isolated into these kind of singular kind of ideas and we don't get exposed to these other things, because typically in modern America, people don't know their neighbors. I mean, if you ask them, the, maybe if they go to their hometown, like their their mom's house, they're like, oh, the Johnsons live over here and the such and such live over mm-hmm. here. But most people don't, like especially in apartment complexes. Oh, yeah. You know, where you're living amongst hundreds of people, here's an opportunity for a real amount of voter power. I'm totally guilty. <laughs> no, we're I'm totally we, guilty. We, we all are. And that, that, I mean, that's, this isn't like a, like a, you know, you're doing wrong. This is more of a statement of let's be conscious. This is what we're doing. And if we really want a conscious result, that's different than that. Let's consciously try and change that behavior. That's been a big adjustment for me in Dutch culture. They're they're really big on knowing their neighbors. Right. And And you stand out as a stranger immediately. I do. And I still do because to me, the idea of going and partying with my neighbors is absurd. (laughs) Right. Right. And you almost need to do it eventually just to kind of yield to them they're okay he's cool and then they'll just treat you maybe they'll ignore you if you if you want that at that point because they'll be like oh that's him he's fine he's fine you You know know, i did run into like the lot of them uh on on new year's uh from my building and and i think i did see a little bit of why they do it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. now i'm the weirdo uh that when i lived in belltown 
Um, we used to have a lot of social parties, so I knew a lot of who my neighbors were. We'd hang out in each other's apartments. And then out here, I'm a part of a uh, buy nothing group in Greenwood. So people get to know their neighbors like that. And I need to know who our new uh, across the way neighbors are. But I did know who our across the way neighbor were before, before they moved. And we say hello, chit chat. How's it going? How's the kids? Well, yeah. On their part. I don't have kids. but And, and, <laughs> and it alters the dynamic of your relationship with your home mm-hmm. when you know who your neighbors are. I mean, for real. It really does. It, it Just imagine like something as simple as like a letter getting delivered to the wrong person. Yeah. If they identify with you as a person, they're going to bring you that letter. Mm-hmm. How easy is it to just be not at this address and throw it back at the mail carrier mm-hmm. for them to deal with Yeah. than for you to walk next door if you don't know who they are? Exactly. You know? And, and, you know, so just little things like that can occur. That's you know. the official policy in the Netherlands, actually. If you're not home, they'll give their package to your neighbor, and your neighbor's <laughs> supposed to give it to you. Wow. <laughs> just a, just an, a social contract. That's actually how it works. Wow. That is awesome. Oh, my God. Well, they just take it for uh, our moderate-minded guests to bring up some of our most social progressive ideas. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was one time where uh, this building got bought by a new company, and we needed to like find out the address and we had lost the thing because we probably threw it out because i was comfortable with the cross street neighbor i was just like dun, dun, dun. hey uh you know that thing that we need to send we don't know what the address is do you have that and they're like yeah let me take a photo of it took a photo let me mail it to you boom and then i was like yeah yeah so yeah no it's 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 a good thing and that's kind of in my mind those those actions over time it builds up to where you can get um like block parties going you can get um different events where people are actually sharing ideas and at those things you're basically a micro town hall meeting at that point yeah for that neighborhood so like i'm from philadelphia originally and every summer we would have block parties that is the funny thing here like here i i know my some of my neighbors but in philadelphia on our street we knew all of our neighbors in every single neighborhood i lived in I lived in three different ones. I lived in West Philadelphia, which is like row homes, uh, black folk mostly, working class black folk. And everybody knew the lady across the street. All the kids would play together. We would, you know, play basketball in the middle of the street. Like everyone knew each other. Then I moved to East Falls, which was more of like a sedity, high paying white folks neighborhood. But even there, everyone knew who everyone was. Then you walk down the street, you say, hey, how's it going, Mr. Sims? And I like... Like, hey, how's it going, Mr. O'Keefe? Like, you would just know who everyone were. I, I never experienced that in any neighborhood I lived in in America. Mm. No. Yeah, not mm. since I was a kid in a small town where that just kind of similar kind of feel to what you were talking about at Amsterdam where everyone just knows everyone. Mm-hmm. So you immediately stand out if you're someone different. And until you actually admit, like, okay, here I am, everybody. This is who I am. Uh, it, pretty much you stand out. Yeah. You know. And so, yeah, in that in that area, everyone, yeah, everyone knew everyone's last name. Everyone knew everyone's business, you know, and and it's not necessarily about like taking away people's privacy as much as opening up the ability for the people to share the actual shared good problems and shared good experiences that are positive mm-hmm. um, and, and be able to apply solutions to those. So if someone is like, man, I really noticed that everyone turns onto Thorndike Street at 45 miles an hour. And it's really annoying because that's the road all of our kids use to walk home. It'd really be good if they set up something where they get people to slow down, maybe with a speed bump or something there. And as a community, yeah, if everyone meets even on an occasional basis and is able to kind of articulate these ideas, things like that can occur, you know, and, and solutions can come. And that's just one example of ways that communities deal with different problems. Other problems can be... Um, houses that have been foreclosed and are like possibly squattered yeah you know and things and and how to approach those properties as a community and what we can do about them uh fallow land areas where there's like green spaces that are no longer actual green spaces and mm-hmm. eventually need to be you know set up in a way where maybe it could be a park and maybe it can be a thoroughway between different streets and stuff and and those kind of you know opportunities come when people know each other and know hey, would you be on board for this thing that mm-hmm. I, I'm going to take up as a cause? And I think it would be good for our neighborhood, you know? So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. That being said, 
I think it's official. And then we just take a break. (laughs) And moving on, I guess, as a fun topic tonight, uh, I wanted to talk about, because it is now the uh, official, we know who is in it, we're getting down to Super Bowl time, guys. Oh, yeah. And so even if you're not a uh, a Super Bowl lover, there is a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes on along with the Super Bowl. So I just wanted to take a moment to talk about things that you have that are your favorite kind of uh, Super Bowl impromptu things that occur because of it, whether it is actually within the presentation itself or the things that are the accoutrement that go along with said Super Bowls. So... I'll get the ball rolling, and officially, I guess, just to kind of tease it, uh, this year it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles versus hometown. the Patriots. They're not your hometown. I had no idea. I'm so checked out. Yeah. <laughs> versus the New England Patriots, who are going for an unprecedented eighth Super Bowl in the last 15 years for their, it would be their sixth win. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So... Yeah, we'll see. Going up against a uh, a much beloved uh, Philly team, especially here in the podcast studio. Um, and so that is being said, uh, I guess one of the kind of tropes that go along with the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, that's my jam. And this is the return of JT, Justin Timberlake himself, famous <laughs> for the most famous Super Bowl-related halftime show faux pas of all time. The boob slip of Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Nipplegate. Yep, 2004. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what are, what are some your opinions of uh, how Super Bowls work to you guys? And uh, and, and what are some memories or things that you, you want to talk about that have... Free the nipple. Free the nipple. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Not that they're associated with the nipple slip, but uh, more so what is uh, associated with Super Bowls, like uh, the party atmosphere. Have you ever been to a Super Bowl party? Uh, of course I have. I've been to a lot of boring ones. I think I think the most interesting Super Bowl party experience I've had was when the uh, Seahawks lost the Super Bowl a few years back. Somehow that was when the clubs in general in <laughs> Seattle that night were the best I'd ever seen them. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. People drink their sorrows away here in Seattle, and, apparently. And they danced, too. You rarely see Seattleites dancing, and they were oh, dancing. Oh, shit. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah, um, and that was a f- also the fifth win for the New England Patriots, who are going for their sixth win in this Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. that was their last win. That was yeah, their last. That win. was so heartbreaking. It was very heartbreaking on the "Don't hand the ball to Lynch" play. <laughs> I think we know who the Seattle people are going to be rooting for then when this Super Bowl comes. Yeah, we're definitely on. <laughs> oh, the- I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia. Of course, I'm rooting for Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. All right, do- Crisco, don't hold us down. And there, it's and it's a. Uh, the storyline there is that it's a backup quarterback because the uh, <clears throat> Wentz, which was kind of having basically his rookie season five years into his career, was uh, brought them to like an 11-1 and record before he got hurt or even more, eh, something like that. It was like 11-1. and and, yeah. and then Foles finished out the year, so he's a backup, and he's about to play in the Super Bowl. So that's kind of the storyline on Philly. You've got the backup versus the consummate professional Tom Brady. Even though they do that, they do the quarterback versus quarterback matchup, but in technical logistics of football, quarterbacks mm-hmm. don't face each other. So yeah, it's kind of funny that they do that. You know, it's very funny. It's really, it's really the defense. Uh, other things, yeah, I like. Okay, what about the food tropes? Oh, oh, I was gonna say my two things is it always gives me a chance to make wings. I make wings every year. Wings are a big part of Super Bowl parties. Yeah. What 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 uh, accoutrement along with the wings, aka and what uh, wings did you would you make? Do you sauce your wings or do you dip your wings? You know, what do you what do you? You know what? I usually use it as a time of year to experiment. Some years I've just taken the wings, put them in sort of just like that uh, Frank's Red Hot bath, put them in the oven for like I don't know, like a forty five minutes or so, and and then bring them out. And for, if I for for Chaz's Philadelphia wings. <laughs> Just douse your wings <laughs> in Frank sauce, put it in the oven around 350 degrees. <laughs> yeah, there you go. For about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and that was one experiment I did one year, and people seem to like that. Uh, sometimes I'll take those out, put them under the broiler for a few minutes to make it the crispy ones. Yeah. Uh, lately, I've been doing uh, fried chicken, so like you know, soaking in some buttermilk for like a day and then frying it up. 
and and then sometimes I'll douse it in hot sauce because you know I have an obsession with hot wings. So you want to so, know one thing about Chaz? He likes hot wings. Maybe so, a little so too much. So fried chicken's a, a little highbrow for a uh, for a Super Bowl party. I mean, that's you're going all out if you're bringing fried chicken to your Super Bowl parties. I mean, it's under twenty dollars. It's not that much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, good party favorite nachos. Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering if I'm the only one that goes sort of like the dips and the nachos. Yeah. Oh, the, dips are dips. Good. Dips are here. Yeah, late. Just a classic Lay's potato chip with a ranch dip. In the middle of the table, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the awkward uh, kind of being at your friend's house who never hosts parties because he's kind of just a sports nut. And this is the one time a year where he be- suddenly he becomes a party host. And so you're like, oh, hey, yeah, all of your uh, all of your artwork is uh, sports related. OK, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Kind of a one track. OK, cool, cool. But yeah. Uh, what other uh, Super Bowl? I mean, obviously, the halftime show is part of it. Uh, there's been some Super Bowl mishaps in years past. Uh, there was the the great power outage bowl in, oh. in New Orleans where the power oh, went out. Oh yeah, I was watching for that two one. and a half hours. So that was kind of an interesting situation where the game gets put on hold and then everyone just kind of waits around and then eventually the game was resumed mm-hmm. and played uh, to a climactic finish. Uh, other things that have happened, uh, you know. Obviously, there's been uh, interesting calls by refs that have made games. Yeah, that always seems to come up every now and then. Yeah, very uh, suspicious circumstances for wins. Uh, And then the Patriots themselves are not without controversy. Oh, yeah. Spygate, Deflategate. Deflategate, Spygate, um, the tuck rule after he fumbled from the Raiders. And now, yeah. So, so Patriots have a history. So, yeah, the Super Bowl, just to uh, just to take your mind away once again. And I know that most of our audience probably not big sports fans, and we we do the occasional sports episode, mostly because I enjoy sports. <laughs> but the Super Bowl is kind of America's holiday these days. It's kind of like the one day that everyone, for some reason, gets dragged in, even if they have nobody or any reason to root for the teams that That's are involved. Because there's nothing else to do on that day. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Early yeah. February. Like, yeah. One so, thing actually came to mind for me is the last couple of Super Bowls that I'd watched were on with online streaming, and there were some big mishaps with the online streaming. They, they haven't quite been able to figure that out yet. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and they're trying so big, too, because they have all the options of the cameras and camera angles and things that I think they've gone too big. They need. i got to just... say, if you really care about the Super Bowl, I'd recommend not trying to stream it. Not trying to stream it. And then that, I don't want to, I guess before we close up the topic, I don't want to forget the commercials. And I do want to oh, say, that's right. I kind of think right. they're kind of going downhill. Like, I think last year there was a bunch of tame ones. I don't really even remember any that stood out. I think now in my mind, the era of the Super Bowl commercial being like publicly conscious information is probably heyday is like late 90s to like early 2000s. Yeah, no, I don't, yeah. Where where the impact of those commercials like had cultural significance and things. That's true. You know. And at, this, so, at this point, it's become a little bit of theater, actually. Like the, the commercials don't even take themselves seriously anymore. <laughs> yeah, and yet they're still just as ridiculously expensive as they always were. Well, of course, but it's an art form. It's the strangest genre of, <laughs> right. of film, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, I have two failed NBC pilots, but I have filmed seven Super Bowl commercials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like, there's that one Budweiser commercial with the dog, and it had that really sad song, and it made me look up that song, and I'm like, you know what? God damn it. I know. You got me, fucking commercials. <laughs> and they definitely, you end up with the extended commercial. You end up with the minute long and the minute and a half long commercial that you typically wouldn't get from these mm-hmm. advertisers. Yeah. So, well, there you go. Uh, shout out to the Super Bowl. Two more weeks. Next week, we'll have the uh, Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl, which nobody ever cares about. No longer in Hawaii. I feel like that was the one cool thing about it. it was, yeah. Oh, where is it now? It's going to be in Florida, I think. Like, mm. you know, America's Hawaii. <laughs> yeah yeah you know so uh <laughs> so so with that uh i wish you all a happy super bowl and just remember it's not just about the game uh it's about everything else so wear your clippers jersey to the super bowl party that's what i'm saying clippers, <laughs> clippers are an nba team nba basketball squad yeah so 
uh, and that's our that's our Super Bowl fun topic for the day. Uh, what other important topics did you want to get in at the uh, tail end of the show here, Chaz? What's on your mind looking forward? Uh, what stood out to you in the news this week? And uh, and and where do you think we're going now? Uh, episode forty-seven in your mind, sir. Uh, I want to talk to our guests here and and see how has uh, America been uh, talked about or presented from the outside world since you've been living out of the states for a little bit. Oh boy, do you want to hear all of it, really? Yeah, I mean, go I, for I don't it. Know if you're ready for it? No, no, we're ready for it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I live in the Netherlands. So I, I guess um, most of my perspective is is from there. So uh, just just to be clear, the Netherlands is really progressive, um, even for for Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I can't say what the world is thinking, right? <laughs> Only the people I've heard. Oh yeah. Um, but I I also have a lot of. Uh, experience hearing hearing about it from people in germany also which which is a bit more um a bit more conservative in europe so uh, i think i have something of a good range of idea and um the general impression that i've heard from people right now is that they're sort of uh, they feel like the curtains have sort of been drawn and now they're seeing the reality uh, behind the theater um, I think there's this bit of a facade, a bit of an image that we've projected out into the world, mm-hmm. and people now see that if, that it, that it really was a facade. Oh. Um, people are becoming newly aware of of really how deep and widespread the poverty is in America. Oh, okay. Um, and it, yeah, I, I guess that's really the summary of it. Is is they feel like they they feel like we've been hiding our true selves. Which of course every country, you know, any organization wants to put its best image up front, but. For uh, sure, but th- I think the general impression is that it was the image that we projected was so far off that it was uh, that it was a lie. You know, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. So that's actually I'm happy to hear that. And, and then with the because in in Amsterdam you're also there, you know, in uh, in Holland or Netherlands, it's part of the EU. And with Brexit kind of being the the topic of the day over there in Europe, as far as how it's going to play out, uh, what what do you see in kind of the political movements of Europe as far as like with Brexit and then with kind of the nationalist movement of some of these other countries that are kind of following almost a Trump-esque style, like for the Poland we just recently see? Do you, are, you, are you noticing that in the Netherlands? Are you seeing that maybe in Germany? Do you see that kind of rise in that political nationalist rhetoric? Or I sort of see it in the news. I don't see it. I don't, I don't really witness it myself there's there definitely is some frustration with immigration but it's hard to say if that's new or if it was always there i I suspect it was always there um uh, and how how is that you think in in marrying both the kind of progressive idealism that europe is famous for with this kind of border security immigration issue it's facing uh, how do you how do you see them kind of as a culture as as a people because like you're saying just kind of with you're seeing it on the news you don't really see it uh, how how do you think they're kind of marrying those ideals because like that's kind of the problem we're facing right now and everyone's putting the blame on Trump whereas over there I think they're looking at it as a more like country by country issue as a as a whole yeah I I think in some ways it's a little bit similar to the immigration in America in that different countries different member states of the eu are taking on i I think many would argue disproportionate um, uh, amounts of of the load from the from the migrants that are coming into the eu so um, certainly germany the uk i I think a lot of people there would argue that they've you know they're sort of taking on more than other eu member states and that the other eu member states would then owe them something um i I don't want to get too into it because i'm pretty uh pretty new to all of the EU politics, but uh, yeah, that's sort of like the real light kind of impression that I get of it. And and then what is your experience living there of the impression of both kind of the progressive assimilation of the migrants and the people that are living in the society? Like how do you interact with them? Are you noticing a change in ownership of different types of stores maybe, or a different population of people that are in the neighborhoods or 
Is it not something you just see on a day-to-day basis, the changes in the demographics and whatnot? Uh, you can definitely see it. You know, there there is some segregation of neighborhoods to to a certain degree. You know, there are certain neighborhoods where it's definitely more likely to see stores and that are owned by Middle Eastern people and, and pe- more Middle Eastern people walking around. Um, I have an acquaintance that says he was told directly that the reason he didn't get a job was because he was Syrian. So, Whoa. yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's something that is definitely impacting people. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that impact has been increased in recent years. I'm not sure. Right. Or if it's just baked in to, to your structure over the past who know, millennium, essentially. Uh, yeah. Who knows? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and then in that sense, like, I guess is, uh, it, you know, is there a way forward that you see Europe, since it's having to deal with it, uh, that we can kind of take an example from? Is there any countries over there you've kind of witnessed that's kind of seeing this progression of of Im- impression of the migrants as well as this impression of like national identity, which y- you know uh, uh, can be argued is is white nationalism. You know, because it's a typical, you take the typical demographic of the person that's saying my Poland, you know, is mm-hmm. is white, you know, and, and whether they have that right to do that or, or not, you know, that's that's for, you know, people to decide. Mm-hmm. But but it, it is it is a, it, it does kind of then steer back to a racial issue, you know, and, and uh, it disguised as a political one. But, so. Mm-hmm. So, um, Wilders, Wilders, um, W-I-L-D-E-R-S, he was sort of the the Trump uh, of the Netherlands. Mm. Um, he lost, and in fact, he currently is facing a uh, he's currently facing a, a court case there uh, on the basis that he made racist comments, um, which actually is illegal in the Netherlands. Okay. Oh wow! Um, so okay. Uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I've come to appreciate in a certain way um, uh, a certain restriction on freedom of speech. Right, right. In order Which to... Which I never thought I would say that. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I can well. see that. Yeah, it, the, the progression of hate speech, you could see that. And then it, it, in this country now, it's almost the progression of political correctness. It's almost censor- censorship in a way has gone so far, or personal censorship, social censorship, mm-hmm. has gone so far that our feelings get hurt over things where the message then gets lost due to the context, the syntax of, mm-hmm. of, of the arrangement of how the message, despite the fact that both parties could yield from the heart of the message, but instead there's walls being driven up due to the syntax, you know, and uh, looking forward to a moderate future, you know, if we are going to be able to have people vote for different candidates in this country, whether it's Republican or Libertarian or Democrat, uh, you know, there's going to be guns. You know, there's going to be the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. There's going to be education funding and social <clears throat> issues like that. And 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 so we're going to have these these arguments. We're going to need to be able to actually discourse towards like an agreement in a way and allow for some variation in that because otherwise if if we keep the rhetoric where essentially the the example in this week would be the government shutdown mm-hmm. it, if the example is take the basketball home with you and, and because you you keep getting quote-unquote fouled mm-hmm. you know is is kind of against the playground rules mentality of playing basketball with your friends you know mm-hmm. you brought the basketball you know, other people could have, but they knew you were. So just mm-hmm. by ending the debate and closing down because you're not happy with the results, it doesn't really yield anything to the to the public good. So that's kind of like looking at Europe and how it's changing and, and adjusting with this same kind of problem we're having. Um, I'm just curious how parliamentary systems and, and then these other types of social laws, like you're talking about possible restrictions on speech and things like that, how those are going to articulate a solution differently than our quote unquote two party system, you know, mm. unofficially two party system. I mean, theoretically, we're an open party system, but yeah. I, I don't think of uh, I don't think of I don't think of the EU type solutions as being particularly applicable to the United States because uh, it really relies essentially on uh, a lot of a lot of state rights, uh, right? So the EU is, is built around heavy state rights. 
um, where really each state is, is its own country and its own nation and its own culture. And America, at least um, you know, in recent decades, has been quite the opposite, where it's been more of a unification effort. So I think first the decision needs to be made, is the unification working, or do we prefer something where kind of California can be California and Texas can be Texas, and that's okay. And, and, and as long as people have the ability to move about and the economic mobility to move about and go wherever it makes sense for them, um, I, I think that question really needs to be asked first. That's a very good argument for states' rights, because I definitely like living in the state of Washington, and I've only lived in two different states, but I know Pennsylvania has some weird laws there, and they're just starting to kind of get in on it all, and I have a few libertarian friends who talk about states' rights, and I've never really like gotten the gist of what they mean, but now you mentioning that, and sometimes it's kind of weird to see America as the full country, like... We have American passports, and we can use that to go places, but then we also have state IDs, and state IDs all have different requirements and different laws and stuff, Yeah, and then different municipalities. Like, a weird one is Seattle has two taxes, like, two things that they do. They just added the tax on soda, and they also did away with plastic bags a while ago, but if you go outside of Seattle, that don't exist. Right, and that's just, and that's like for us because we're kind of in North Seattle. It's only about a twenty-minute drive away. So, and, and there's the one percent for the arts, and there's all kinds of mm-hmm. things that are specific <clears throat> to Seattle. Yeah, and then there's statewide things, and then you know, which you know have headline makers like the marijuana issue, mm-hmm. and and then there's statewide things like income tax doesn't occur here. Yeah, you know, whereas income tax does occur in the state of Oregon, but they don't have sales tax. Yeah. Know? And, and and I do think ultimately, and I think our show has kind of given that voice, is the, the answer is more local always. So mm-hmm. if your city can solve the problem, solve it there. If your county needs to solve the problem, solve it there. If your state can solve it, solve it there. And then ultimately, you know, interstate travel, interstate commerce, those type things, we do need some type of federal kind of arm that can kind of handle the load of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, interstate communication, you know, the postal system, these things are good. You know, and then I do like the complex of, you know, web of representation that then goes forward to kind of help build, um, you know, different structure. But ultimately, yeah, I think states states have the best ability to to address the problems within their borders. Yeah, Uh, I think one reason that people get so fired up about change in America is is that people are are one way or another. They they tend to want to stay in one place. I think the average American likes to live in the state that, that they were born in. And that's one thing that I don't really see in Europe. It's it's fairly normal for people to say something like, "Oh yeah, I'd like to go live in Spain for a couple of years" or something like that. Um, and I don't know I don't know what that difference really stems from. Um, but I think one way or another, if we could increase the mobility of people, it, it really might be much less consequential to them if the state they live in changes. For sure. Yeah. There was definitely when I was younger, there was a, t- a statistic that. of Americans have never left the country before. And I think like in, and I think there's even a very large number, like 60 or 70% of people never leave the state they were born in. Right. And then even if you do take a broad travel, if you remove Canada and Mexico, it goes down considerably Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, And there's, and there's huge differences between the states, which from a distance, they look exactly the same. So I was, I was born in Kansas and, and grew up for a large time in Kansas. And then eventually found that, the Missouri side, which was just 10 miles away, was actually culturally a much better fit for me. And it's amazing the the, mm. the, the little differences that, that really make a difference when you're living there. Yeah. And you can't even see them from a distance. Right. For sure. Yeah. Like I, the North and South Dakota. I think I think South Dakota has a way more kind of Midwesty feel, mm-hmm. and I think North Dakota is kind of more prairie land, Montana slash oil culture. Yeah. You know, it's got this weird kind of renegade Texas kind of feel to it. About I'm, I want my guns, I want my oil, get the fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know, and and yet they both have the same name, Dakota. Yeah. Meanwhile, know? Rapid City. I I have like a couple times a year I get this urge to just go live a life on a ranch outside Rapid City. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's why Deadwood was a popular show. You know, it's there. There is some type of uh, p- 
piece of us that wants to go back to a Western existence, you know, even if it's modern era. Also, Rapid City is just an amazing place. There mm. you go. Yeah, it's a cool name. Yeah. It, I, I wish they would just change it slightly and call it Rapid City. <laughs> or or get rid of the pit and just call it Rap City. <laughs> and then they can play the intro to that old MTV show, Rap City. The Rap City yeah. bit, Rap City. <laughs> yeah, Rap City. Was that BET or was that MTV? I, I think, think that, that might have been BET. Yeah, Rap City, Rap Rap City. Yeah, you remember. I feel like it came on like before or after 106 and Park, so it's probably BET. Oh, yeah. No, 106 and Park was that shit back in the day. Yeah. It was Black TRL. Like. For, no, it was Cool TRL because like homeboys TRL was like 14 year old girl TRL <laughs> that's true. you know and that's that's sweet we made programming for 14 year old girls you know and whatever but yeah BET 106 and Park that's where it was at uh, is there any way if by chance your opinions were out on the internet that you would want people to follow you or if not they can uh, get a hold of you through us uh, our guest today <laughs> Because we are on the tail end, it is time to say goodbye to all. I don't have I don't have any Twitter handle or something to hand out. Like okay. That right now. Okay. Well, look for his opinions on future episodes, and uh, if he does get a Twitter handle, we can shout him out in future episodes as well. Uh, I am at Sea Town Mayor on the Twitter because I'm going to help your municipality by the sea. Uh, also, uh, you can get at the show at hylbox at gmail.com. That's how you live in box hylbox. And, uh, you know, send us a GIF and or a clip of us talking stupid. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Or your opinion or your ideas or your favorite Super Bowl memory. Uh, Chaz, how can they get a hold of you? Um, I'm on the, the Twitters at CRSII and basically Chaz Baz everywhere else. Uh, yeah. So, you know, come hit me up on, uh, what's it called? on Twitter. I posted a poll today. I'll probably post it again. You probably won't hear this on today. So I'll post it again on uh, maybe doing a thing that talks about first principles and trying to reason things up from there. So if you want to just see me shoot the shit randomly on a Sunday trying to do that, trying to workshop something, let me know. Uh, Thank you for being a part of the show today, man. Appreciate you talking. Uh, It's good to hear a perspective on an area of the world we don't get to all the time. You should change that. Yeah, I, I I agree as well, um, and and I hope uh, I hope people keep their borders open so travel continues. Uh, Chaz, it's been a delight. Yes, it's been a delight, Mikkel. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll talk to you all later. See you next week. We out. Peace.